from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, the podcast for all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between. Alongside John Bennett producing with Sean Fazand and possibly Juan Kincaid, I'm Chris Hagan. Today we are talking Saints narrowly surviving mm-hmm. the Panthers at home. But first, a quick request <laughs> and reminder to subscribe to the podcast. Also, please rate and review it to help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up via the Final Play app. We love getting your questions, especially for the podcast. Now, Sean Fazan, let's mm-hmm. get to it. The Saints, they survived, man. And there were several ways they could have lost that game. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Saints were a little bit of both. Yeah, and look, good luck follows a good team sometimes. And look, did they deserve to win? I thought there was a part in this game where they should they should have been up by three touchdowns. Um, so it was on them for letting Carolina hang letting Carolina hang around and credit Carolina. They kept taking advantage of the gifts that the Saints were giving them and um, needed a two minute drill to win the game. But the point is, with the game on the line, needing a victory. Um, how long was that drive, by the way? Where did they start that drive from? I don't even know. But uh, Drew Brees delivered, and he hit Michael Thomas twice. He hit Alvin Kamara a bunch, got the plays down, and Will Lutz kind of kind of angled that, that ball through on the final kick. But nonetheless, they leave 9-2. and two. And look, if we've learned anything this, this season, right, it ain't all, they don't always have to be pretty um, because – at the end of the day, all that matters is that you're 9-2. and two. Now, in saying that, there's obviously things you have to clean up. This is this back-to-back home games with, with terrible penalties, um, double-digit penalties. And I know people are going to look at the the uh, some some of the questionable calls in the offensive pass interference. The last one with the, the no call was overturned. But I thought the overwhelming majority of the penalties were self-inflicted that were obvious oh, yeah. calls that they got to play better. I mean – I get people texting me talking about, uh, you know, the refs are blowing it or tweeting at me. The refs are blowing it. I'm like, yeah, that was a couple tough calls. But we we got to lose this notion that the game was close because of the referees. I mean, the Saints played poorly at times, letting an inferior opponent get back in the game. Yeah, man, in the vast majority of games, a penalty, a single penalty, or several penalties um, don't necessarily – change the outcome of a game within the first three quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they stack up to the levels that the way the Saints let them with so many that killed drives and killed momentum, mm-hmm. that's when it that's when it changes games. That's when the difference in getting off the field, I think there were more than five minutes left on the clock mm-hmm. when Cam Jordan had that penalty. Uh, it was actually, penalty. I, got, I got that right here. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me grab that. Um... It was uh, the penalty Cam Jordan was at the 3:51 mark, but that drive started at 6:30 mark. Yeah, there were there was almost four minutes left on the clock when Cam Jordan has that penalty, and instead of getting the Panthers off the field, they go and they score and milk the rest of the clock, and they get the ball back to start the second half, and so that's huge. That was certainly game changing. And considering the Saints were off the field, they have the chance to instead they could have had their own two-minute mm-hmm. offense on the field and get points before half, 14-point swing, possibly. 
And that's the kind of things that change the game. And so, yeah. Well, that's how, that's how, that's how a bad team hangs around right there. Right. That's what neutralizes home field advantage. Right. And, you know, there were some pre-snap penalties. There were some holding calls that were obvious in short yard situations. There were some – look, there were some poorly executed plays, but I thought they started the game really good, and they finished the game, obviously, with the final drive to win it. Um, so you walk away from this game thinking, okay, we uh, we could have lost, but we didn't. Um and we're nine and two, ready to roll forward on a short week, but we also have to realize that that the self-inflicted wounds—they cost us against Atlanta. And they almost cost us today. And that that would have been pretty bad. I mean, while we're recording this, Green Bay and San Francisco are just kicking off, mm-hmm. and these are the teams that you're gonna have to keep pace with within the NFC because we talked about it. They they win on Thursday, they win the division, mm-hmm. and the Saints will say that's cool. But we got bigger goals. Absolutely. And the biggest thing you can do to to get that goal or to reach that, that goal of the Super Bowl is get the first round by. More important, get home field advantage, especially when it comes to playing, you know, in uh, Green Bay or at San Francisco or maybe Seattle if things go their way. You know, there's 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 places the Saints don't want to have to go, but you can't keep losing games. and. It it sounds trivial because they're in such a good place within their division, but that's the bottom line. They 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 are competing for bigger things week in and week out than simply the NFC South. And I and you know, I I think that's a good thing because it they have to stay sharp. They have you know they're running away with the South right now. It would take a miracle for someone else to win the South right now. But you know what? Okay, great. Let's pat ourselves on the back for a second and, and move on. Uh, three straight division crowns is great, but obviously they have bigger goals. Um, and you just with the we're at the point now where the urgency is there, like it's mm-hmm. there, and everything is magnified. So, you know, do you overcome twelve penalties against San Francisco? Do you overcome twelve penalties against a team like Indianapolis? Do you overcome, you know, twelve penalties in the playoffs? And you almost didn't overcome it against Carolina because right. Carolina is is a they're a pretty good football team. They like are. they're not they're not division winning level, but this is a team with a quarterback that's good enough when you allow him time he can he can get the ball down the field and he was never in a position where he was asked to really, really get out of his comfort zone. Despite the Saints um having, you know, some two score cushions at times, uh the Panthers were still able to get the ball to McCaffrey quite a bit, running the ball on the short passes. They were never forced to really go vertical and get Kyle Allen in these long dropbacks and times where you, you could tee off on him like the 49ers did. John Bennett had the stat in our tailgate show this morning that when Carolina can run the ball a lot more, they're more successful versus when they are passing the ball more, they are not successful for example, when they are trailing in games, but the Saints were never able to slam the door. And it could have happened. It could have happened, them slamming the door. Was, was, uh, two scores, 14 nothing was the was the biggest lead in the game, and that's when Kyle Allen made, made probably one of his best throws when he hit, uh, was it DJ Moore on that deep ball? So, um, 
the the game was never out of reach, so it allowed a guy like Kyle Allen, who is a decent decision maker, who'll make a throw or two, but he's never going to take over a game, but it allowed him to get comfortable within the game. He finished 23 of 36 for 256 and three touchdowns. And Christian McCaffrey, look, there's no doubt they game planned him, but he still got free. He just He's going to get his. He's a bad dude. He is I mean, going to get nine his. Nine catches, 69 yards, 23 yard long, and a touchdown. But... I, I thought when he ran the ball, he was effective, but they did a pretty good job of keeping him contained. 22 carries, 64 yards, a long of nine yards on a touchdown. He was effective running the football, but was only a 2.9 average. So he got his, and it and it sucks because it was, it was their best player, but you know what? They were still able to survive that and, and come away with a victory. Yeah, and that's the important thing. They come away with a victory. We've harped on a lot of negatives, obviously, um, it's easier to harp on them when they win. It feels better for fans right. and for the team to pick out the negatives when they win. The Saints have been fortunate enough to survive some um, ugly games. This one was um, good at times, ugly at others. They had the chance to slam the door. Given the way that they have successfully now integrated Jared Cook into this offense, mm. this, these are the types of games you thought they could certainly slam the door when you're talking about Kamara and Murray, Michael Thomas, and... Jared Cook, and Cook got going um, 99 yards, just short of a 100-yard game, had the touchdown, had the incredible go-up-and-get-it grab mm -hmm. that, as Drew Brees put it, the defenders didn't even jump. They thought right. he sailed the pass, and all of a sudden, there's Shaq on the field catching that ball. Um, and so I think the positive from a year ago to now is that you do have Jared Cook, and you know one of the final play-app questions we'll get to later was about, again, finding – a second receiver, but Jared Cook's going to be that second receiver. He's just a tight end. Look, I think that was the best thing about this game, to be honest with you. Um, realistic development. That is a dynamic playmaker at the tight end position. Tell him. Made dynamic plays today. The OPI was a garbage call. We'll get to some, some you know, back and forth with that as far as, you know, uh, debating how, how, how they handle that. But still, that was down the seam for 42 yards. Brees took a shot on that play and still delivered a strike. The play you mentioned where he goes up and felt like he touched it out the scratch out the sky. Dude, came down I with didn't it. know who that was. And then the touchdown catch. That's a six foot six, 250-pound man running an out and up. And the week before, he ran a quick slant where he kind of juked a, a, a nickel corner or a safety. This week it was Eric Reed, who clearly they missed. They kind of identified as a guy they can exploit in mm -hmm. coverage. I thought he struggled in coverage today. I thought he was decent against the run. They but went at him all day. I, I, at this point in his career, he looks more like a linebacker to me, to be honest with you. But um, Jared Cook making plays, and this is why I said at the break, it's the one thing I look forward to in the second half of the season that wasn't there in the first half of the season that can really be a difference maker, and I thought it was today. He finished with six catches, 99 yards, and – it just felt like every single catch was wow. One of those plays was okay, yeah, that okay, wow. It, it was like a significant play. You just felt like okay, yeah, those are the kind of catches we like out of that guy. And to me, it was one of the best developments out of this game. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about the offense, let's let's get to a couple of these questions. I'm going to combine these two. Um, they're from George and Metairie and Quinzel and Angie and. Um, basically, they're asking, one is, why Coach Payton does not run Murray, Latavius Murray, more? It was obvious at certain parts of the game mm -hmm. that you know, they needed to get the run game going. And uh, George specifically asking, 
on the fourth and one call late in the game. Why give to Kamara? Why not Murray there? And I think it's a valid question. I think I saw someone on Twitter make the point that, you know, since Breeze has come back, they haven't necessarily run the ball as much. And especially what we saw in Alvin Kamara's absence from Latavius Murray, what we saw from Murray in the first touchdown of the game, he's a guy like Mark Ingram. You give him the ball more, um, he can get going. Now, as you pointed out when we were in the press box, Sean, there was a point where they needed to get Alvin Kamara going. Mm -hmm. And they kind of force-fed him a little bit, which was a good thing. He picked up some first yards and got a little bit more involved because he was really absent for the first half of that game. But I think there's still something to be desired from a team that is as good as anyone in the league when they go jumbo and want to bully you down the field, they could get Latavius Murray the ball more. They were averaging 6.6 yards a carry today. Latavius Murray's first touchdown run, that was, I mean, that's bully football. That's mm -hmm. jumbo package, two tight ends, and uh, a tackle eligible, and it's just straight downhill. 18 carries, 118 yards. He led the whole game. Um, that's the second straight week now. Um, well, no, no, not last week. The week before that. Uh, uh, the second straight home game now where um, the rushing numbers have been a little bit out of whack. Um, so I'm not sure if it's, it's a play calling thing, if it's an adjustment within the play thing, if it's a, what they like to do, what they're getting from the opposing defenses. But if you're running the ball at 6.6 .6 yards a clip, Man, I need to see more than 18 carries because I think that could – because you were leading the whole game. Yeah, that's how you – You were leading you, the whole game. That's how you keep imposing your will. You keep wearing it to the defense. It's going to pay dividends later. But it's how you milk the clock and you get out of there. And, again, when we talk about being able to take – make the Christian McCaffrey factor a little less mm -hmm. in terms of forcing them to go down the field more, that's how you do it. You take away the clock, take away that time that they have to work with. Um and you build your lead. So that's one thing that, that does leave a little bit to be desired. Juan Kincaid mm. now joins us. Hello, Juan. How are you? What questions and concerns do you have? Because I love your scenarios. I love your <laughs> your takes. Let's do They're it. They're as hot as ever. I don't know if I have any questions and scenarios. I just think this team, uh, they, they should have put Carolina away early, mm -hmm. and they let them back into the game. And um, I think you need, you need to win games like this late in the season because the games you come on that start coming on to you are going to be – the San Francisco's obviously got Carolina again on the road next time. Even the Atlanta game Thursday night, it could end up being a close game. And it, this team showed today that they can win. They can find a way to win those close games. They're going to be a lot more coming down the line. But it never really should have been this close, I don't think. I think the Saints should have beat them by at least two touchdowns. Got off to a great start for once. First time scoring a touchdown mm -hmm. in their first drive of the game. So that was positive. Um, they get a couple of lucky breaks early on. And a couple of bad calls, obviously, by the, by the pass interference on Jared Cook. Didn't see that one. On the second one at the end of the game, I saw where they could make that change, and they did. Um, so I, I think it's a good win for the Saints. Carolina <laughs> always plays them tough. Let's talk about that. Let's, yeah, let's jump into that. The, the offensive pass interference mm -hmm. call. So I, I, I talked to Jared Cook about it in the locker room after the game, and he said breaking the play down, he ran that route, the defenders playing him to the outside. So you are taught to, as Jared Cook put it, clear your workspace. When the defender is up on you and has his hands on you, you clear your workspace so you have a clean area to catch the ball. If you watch Michael Thomas, he's excellent at it, excellent at using his hands to get a clear workspace and get the ball. When Jared Cook reestablished and released to the inside, he simply said the guy fell down. Yes, they were going back and forth a little bit, but he didn't shove him. I mean, if, if Jared Cook, as big as he is, if he shoved him, you would mm -hmm. know he shoved him. Yeah. 
if you look at that play, it, that, that wasn't the case. He simply cleared his workspace, caught the ball, and they made the call. That was garbage. I didn't <laughs> like it either. I was like, I, we looked at the replay like, what did he do? And if anything, the, the cornerback had more hands <coughs> on Jarrett than Jarrett mm-hmm. had on him. So I'd still question what the call I – w- I wish, you know, Larry Holder works for the Athletic had talked to uh, Al Reverant into the game about the, the last pass interference play, and he explained why that one was called, saying it was very clear. I get that. I wish you could have asked him about the first one because mm-hmm. I would have liked to have known how they decided to call pass interference on that one when it looked to me like he was just doing a regular running motion. Mm-hmm. I agree. Thought it was a terrible call. Thought it was reactionary because he saw the guy fall. Uh, the I Michael agree. Thomas one as well, which I even thought was even less of offensive pass interference because that's a short yardage, tight yardage kind of thing. They're all just kind of battling for airspace there. I will say this, though, and this may sound like I'm contradicting myself, but given the precedent that was set all year leading up to that play, I thought it was a bad challenge by, by Sean Payton. Um, did not think there was enough there to overturn it, given nope. – uh, what I saw, but in saying that, I applied that same logic to the end of the game where they wanted to, uh, there was no call, and Rivera challenged, it should have been a, he, he wanted to call a, you know, a pass interference on C.J. Gardner-Johnson. By letter of the law, that looked like pass interference, yes, but that did, that did not rise above the egregious level that the NFC Championship game was, which has been the precedent throughout the entire league this year. I've seen one other call, or maybe it was two, two of the first 11 weeks or 12 weeks of the season that there was no call, and they put a flag on the field. So a um, little bit all over the place with the interpretation of this pass interference rule. And I actually thought, okay, given what I saw throughout the NFL season, when he challenged the Jared Cook play, I was like, he's not going to get it. Mm-hmm. And given what I saw throughout the, the Jared Cook, Cook, Cook play included, plus the, you know, whatever we saw throughout the rest of the NFL season, when the CJ-GJ play happened, I said, there's no way they can overturn this or, or challenge the no call here. It, that's not that's not egregious enough, and sure enough, that one got got overturned. But to to give credit to our photographer Edwin Good, he brought up a good point after the game. This pass interference challenge rule was put in place to prevent the NFC Championship no and no call from happening again, right? Mm-hmm. And that happened at the end of the game. What the NFL has established is that for any old run-of-the-mill pass interference call in the first, second, third, maybe even early fourth quarter, they're not going to call it because they need it to be egregious. It has to be something really bad because typically those calls, they happen. They happened in the past, and it was fine. One call in the second quarter is not going to change the game that much. So I get why they, for lack of a better way of putting it, ignore that. They say we're not going to reward those challenges. But this one in favor of the Panthers happened at the end or toward the end of the fourth quarter. And so this is when the rule was made that should be able to challenge plays that can possibly change a game in their eyes. So do you all agree with the, with the I guess, overturning the no call? <sighs> I d- the last play? Yeah. I agree with it. Yeah. You agree I mean, with I mean, if that was clear, pass I, I thought it was interference. Off his route. You can agree with it, but, like, it, the the issue with it is we have seen worse than that this yes, year have. that hasn't been overturned. Well, it, okay, well. That's a good point. So timing of the play matters. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what I'm so trying to say. So time of the game matters. That you know what that they have to come NFL, out and say that. Say that. They have, say that. They have to come look, out and say if that. It's, if it's at the end of the game, we're gonna look at it more closely. We're gonna be a little bit more, you know, uh, critical. A little bit more because if you don't say that, we're we're just up in the air here. We don't. We still don't know. One thing is that if they say that, then it keeps coaches from losing those challenge flags. Because right now they're all probably thinking. 
if we throw a flag, we're going to lose this flag and lose a timeout or whatever. You know, we're not going to have it. You know, it, it, it will make coaches say, you know what, I'm going to keep this in my pocket, even though it looks like plain as day pass interference or a no call and the referees called it. They're not going to call it. They're not going to change it. I'd have to go back and look at the, the the two other plays that was not that were not called a penalty on the field, but were changed to a penalty and give it the situation, the down and distance, and how just egregious the play was. Um, I don't. I, I, one was with Tampa Bay the week before the Saints played them. Uh, there was a there was a a no call that was eventually called. Um, I I don't know about the first one though. Um, so. I just think if 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 we're going to have all these subjective layers to it, let's be out in the open and let's yeah. be honest about it. The one that had Peyton even more fired up was the the Michael Thomas one on the two-point conversion try. I thought that was terrible. That, that was I mean, terrible. So look at the Tampa Bay game, and Tampa Bay lost this. They challenged it and lost it against the Saints. Remember that? The Mike Evans play. Yeah. But within a yard – you can do that, and and so I think that's what Peyton was arguing was that, and it was the same thing Bruce Arians was arguing mm-hmm. the week before. But any back shoulder throw that happens, worse than that, honestly, mm-hmm. it happens. You, I mean, on a back shoulder throw, a lot of times on those jump balls at the goal line, the receiver might have his hands on the defender and vice versa, defender on the receiver, until the second he pulls up for to go catch the ball, mm-hmm. and that's all that was. Maybe it's one of those things where Ron Rivera said, you know, look for that. You know, maybe that's one of those things he was in the ref's ear about. But I, I just don't, I don't well, see and, that and, call and, happening and, very often, and it feels very specific to this crew. And that, you know, it's a tight. You know, and look, and that's a good point too. I mean, different crews call different things. Some love holding calls. Some love offensive pass interference. I do know there was a point of emphasis. I don't know if it was this year or maybe the year before on offensive pass interference, but at least with the Jared Cook thing, I saw a full arm extension. With Mike Thomas, I saw like kind of a yeah, like a, a swatting of the way. He you does know? it all the time. So, look, you got to live with it. But the good thing is we're, we're debating this and we're frustrated about this, but it came in a Saints victory where it did not cost him uh, the game. I and wish Sean Payton would have gone a little bit more in um, – in depth on he didn't how, want to how I know I understand why he doesn't want to but how things are playing out now versus what the conversations were in those competition committee meetings back in the summertime and when they were forming like how this is going to be how this is going to work how are we going to go forward and do this pass interference thing for the one year trial I wish you could have gone more in depth on that on what they talked about then what he's seeing now how there's such a huge discrepancy between the 22 well maybe they're going to have to fine tune it or I could just see this rule get going bye-bye after this year I and look this is a it feels like a bit of a subtle way for the NFL to do away with it because um they have unless they like I think we may be on to something here but unless they come out and say that it is a timing related overturn well, tweak the uh, language. It's tweak the language. Yeah, you can, you can only challenge a no call within the last five right minutes now of the it's game. Pointless, and so they're either going to keep the rule and say and should say if they keep the rule that it is timing related, or they should get rid of it because it's 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 not having any effect on the game. The league and the play of the game is no better for implementing that rule. If on egregious calls in the first quarter, you're not going to make the call. That's what I'm saying. Put that in the language. Say, look, you don't even have the option until the fourth quarter. Yeah. You don't even have the option till seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, where a game a game changing call is going to have the, the the most weight. These are all just ideas we're throwing out there, but I, but 
if that's the only sen- <coughs> excuse me you know again I had to go back and check the scenarios of the other two uh ones that were there were no calls that were overturned well it's a way it it keeps coaches it, it keeps unnecessary challenges from happening and it gives you some sort of sense that um the league actually cares and actually wants to do something about it we brought it up in the press box an underrated rule has been the review of all turnovers mm-hmm. and touchdowns Think how many, a couple of years ago, think how many challenge flags were either won or lost or <laughs> wasted on touchdown calls that were close because they're all close. Like, most of them are yeah. close. And so how many times did you have to challenge and how many games were decided because of that play or because of, you know, a missed call or whatever or not having a challenge flag left or whatever it may be. So – it all comes back to officiating once again. But again, better I, to but talk about I don't, don't want to get hung point. up on that, though, because uh, at least in the context of this game, because yeah, the, Saints, kinda, yeah. the Saints had enough where it was like <laughs> they could have played better yeah. up until that moment. Uh, you know, there was there were things that they – I mean, they, they should have won this game by three touchdowns, I think we would all yep. agree, at one point in the game. It felt like they were running away with a three-touchdown win. But these controversies cre- keep creeping up. You got to address them. Yep. How long was that game? About three and a half hours? Oh, yeah. And I've that's another part of the problem. About 3.30. <laughs> well, the other part is, yeah, penalties, test. reviews, yeah. flags, touchdowns, drop passes. Whew. Drop it's passes. Like, it's like that punt recovery for the Saints lasted about 10 minutes on review. Yeah, yeah and some injuries. That was, a, that was and another that, tough one. And then uh, injuries. Teron Armstead, man. Wait, didn't we ask the question at the beginning of the year, Sean? It's Will not if. A full year? <laughs> <clears throat> God, man. Man, and with I, each game, I kind of, kind of took a mental note, and I'm like, mm, I told okay. a friend it. He lasted longer than I thought he would, without getting seriously hurt. Man, we'll look, just from my eyes, series. watching it based on reaction, he got carted off. The Saints said ankle. It looked like Achilles. It looked like Achilles. Um, they call it, They're calling it an ankle. I don't know if, if he rolled it, whatever the case may be. But now you're in a little bit of a pinch here. Because I don't know about Omame. I don't know about Omame. The culprit of some of the flags. They, they better get him some guys to chip over that left side. Because that left tackle position. Best case scenario is this. Pete's a fast healer. And you can kick him out to uh, to left tackle. And you can keep Easton where he's at at left guard. Um, and let Will Clapp be the, the sixth offensive lineman jumbo package guy. But Where's Cameron Tom at these days? Cameron Tom is on IR. Um, so... I'm concerned because, look, and we knew this, that's a vulnerability on this team, backup tackle. It's a vulnerability on any NFL team. It's hard. It's hard to get them. But with the Saints case, in the Saints case, it's hard to sign a backup left tackle. But in the Saints case, you just knew at some point it was going to happen. I'm just curious. We'll find out here soon how long he's going to be out. But if he's out in, for an extended period of time, Saints going to have to adjust. Now, the good news is they've done it before and they've managed. Yeah, but they've done it with Andrews Pete. Right. And that was – I specifically remember we discussed this on the podcast. Like, do you – especially when it comes to the makeup of the roster, do you go after that left tackle as a backup, <clears throat> that backup left tackle, or do you, are you comfortable with sliding Pete out left? And I've always said you're comfortable sliding Pete out, but now they're down two guys on the left side of that line and aren't able to slide Andrews Pete to left tackle. I was, I was always in favor of having a tackle and keep four-fifths the same, but now with two out – and if he were back, given their current scenario, given who's up next, I think the best-case scenario would be to kick Pete out when he comes back if Armstead is indeed out. Yeah. So we shall see. Uh, one thing we do know, 
it's tough to recover on a short week. The Saints have the Falcons on Thursday. Presumably, that's why Marshawn Lattimore, they didn't really want to push it. You never want to push hamstring injuries, but <clears throat> if you could get him back for Atlanta and covering Julio Jones, I think that's the right game to do it for. And it's it's almost like his uh, his rookie year, right, mm -hmm. when he got injured and then he, his first game back was Julio on a Thursday night. And remember he had the oxygen That's right. on the sideline because it was his first game back. Now, I don't think he's missed as much time as he did that year maybe. Uh, felt like a couple games, and they held him out a game before Atlanta on that Thursday night. <clears throat> but it's going to be a challenge if he's able to come back. Hopefully he is because, again, that Atlanta offense didn't have a great day against the Bucks, but any given night with those receivers, they can show out. I agree. And I think P.J. Williams is showing why he's a nickel. Not an outside. Mm. There you go. Um, Whose fault was that on that deep ball? Was it? Oh, hundred percent his. Looking in the back. They're in a, they're in a they're in a cover three scenario, yeah. and and PJ is looking in the backfield to almost jump the short route. When you're in cover three, your responsibility is the back end. So you give the short route up, and was it was it Moore just ran right by him, and he knew it right away. I mean, he got caught peeking when his guy who's right in front of him is is heading into his zone. Yeah. I just look, man. He he's a nickel. He he's yeah. good. Playing bump and run, run support, can can blitz off the uh, the nickel position. I thought he got exposed today. Yep. It happens, mm. but you got to get healthy. I got to get healthy. I'm losing my voice, I, I think. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm catching a cold myself. I have no idea what's going on, but I think that's a good sign mm -hmm. to end it right there. Yeah. But before you guys go, quick request and reminder, subscribe to the podcast also. Please rate and review it to help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, Hit up that final play app. Maybe I'll email you back because I don't know if I can talk. Mm -hmm. I think he's trying to get out of work tomorrow. Sounds like to me. Mm. Just saying. I'm off tomorrow anyway, Juan. Oh, well, Thank oh, you. Nice try. Keep your opinions <laughs> over there. Mm. We'll talk to you guys next time on Overtime. He's care of it all, shit for At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer, you're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love, a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.